the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. When it comes to your investments and retirement, in this economy, it's important to be smart. And with the Smart Investor Hour heard right here on AM 1420 The Answer, you'll get both smart and intelligent information you'll need to help with your investing. So sit back, listen, and learn with your host of the Smart Investor Hour, Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management. Good afternoon, everybody. It's cold outside here in the state of Ohio. My dogs don't even like going out, as I always say. (laughs) Anyway, let's start thinking positively. Never let success get to your head. Never let failure get to your heart. I don't know who that was. I can't remember. Just because you fail once doesn't mean you're going to fail at everything. Keep trying. Hold on. And always, always keep your head up. You always pass failure on your way to success. That was Mickey Mantle, by the way. And then finally, the old Chinese proverb from Confucius. In life, you will fall down many times. It does not matter. It's how many times you get up. That's important. All right. Uh, you know, we, hey, next week, we're going to have Rich Matthews on. Uh, Rich is our wealth planning specialist. Uh, he'll be on the first part of the show. He's a crazy hockey player, but we, you know, that's, you know, for all you hockey players, you'll love it. But uh, Rich has forgotten more about wealth planning than most people have ever learned. Uh, so if you're out there and you've got, you know, stuff everywhere, you have, believe me, I, I have a couple clients that I, I pulled in all their stuff and suddenly they realize that they're doing okay and, and they've got a plan. And it really uh, enlightens them, okay? And by the way, it does wonders for their heart and their and their thought process and everything else. But Rich is going to be on next week. We're going to bring him on the first part of the show. I think you'll like it a lot, okay? So uh, uh, he's a really – he's a great guy, and uh, take it from there. As always, this is a live show, so if you've got any questions, you can call in 216-901-0945. That's 216-901-0945. So um, – you know, with roughly a third of the S&P 500 results in for the uh, fourth quarter of 21, uh, the full bottom-up forecast for the S&P 500 is still tracking at $224 for 2022, uh, while 2023 is tracking at 247 That's up a buck. So with all this, you know, I mean, with huge decline we've had, this 10-day decline of like 12 13%, Nothing's changed <laughs> except for some valuation. So it, it it clearly hasn't been a great reporting season in terms of stock price reactions, that's for sure. But 52% of the companies have reported so far has seen their prices fall 1% or more in, in the one-day trading session immediately post their returns, or the results, I'm sorry. So the stability in the E has also uh, e, you know, like at a price-earnings ratio, okay? So with price earnings, you know, you got a $20 stock, and it makes $2 a share. Price-earnings ratio is, t- is 10. So the stability in the E or the earnings 
allows us to have a clear view of what's happened to the PE of the, uh, of the S&P 500 recently. So uh, we've seen a contraction in the broader market market's forward PE of negative 16% since the end of 2021. That's a lot. So I think you've got to keep four or five things in, in, in your head. The valuation gap between the most expensive and least expensive stocks is getting close to pre-pandemic levels. Isn't that interesting? Okay. And the retail investor sentiment is back in line with the pandemic lows. We said that last week. You know, the number of bulls out there is now at, you know, the bull-bear ratio when it's negative, that means the bears are winning, is now just a hair under 30. Uh, and that's the area where we've bought them many a times. Small cap positioning close to net short territory, uh, approaching the 2020, uh, you know, the March 23rd of 2020 levels. Everybody short. If you, you know, look, Snap was up big Friday. And it, the earnings were good. But 30% of the, sh- the float was short. So these guys, the shorts just got hammered, okay? So was was the earnings that great? Eh, maybe, but, you know, there's a lot of people net short. And I think performance right now is at a crossroads. And if you're wondering what we think, we need to cut our year-end target. Our our answer is no, at least that's Lori Calvacina's, and not right now anyway. So uh, I, I think the first couple of Fed rate hikes, are are in mostly priced in the small caps are close close to uh, looking very oversold okay so we'll see what happens um now look tom lee and and Lori Cal- calvacina kind of have different views Lori thinks it's going to be more of a subtle move up and tom who's at Fundstrat, you know and where we get their research fortunately thinks we could have a violent v-shaped rally in in february now, the question is, you know, look, we went and we broke down below the 200-day average, and we popped above it, and then we rallied really hard. Uh, so, and then we came right back to it. So, we'll, we'll see what happens, but <clears throat> I think you've got to, um, you know, pay closer attention. Um, you know, the, the, I guess the question will be, you know, and, and this is hard to figure out, will we rally up? and stop where we, we were before. I mean, it's going to, with some of the losses that some of these companies have taken, like Facebook got hammered last week, uh, it's going to take a while. That doesn't mean they're not buys. It's just going to take a while, okay? I, you know, and, and I'm not suggesting Facebook's a buy right here. I, you know, I, that's not what I do on this show. All right? Uh, so anyway, but... You know, you had an 11% decline over 14 days. Actually, it was 13.5% over, you know, 12 days and then rallied a couple days. So, you know, I think that, you know, what you see is when you see something like Facebook or Metaverse, whatever it's called now, uh, it, it strikes broad terror in most people. And, you know, they had Twitter and they also had Snapchat down like six bucks the day before they reported. And then... Everybody was short Snapchat, and then all of a sudden, boom, you know, they they went crazy. So you got to be careful about getting too negative. Uh, I know Friday I, I was fairly negative, and I shouldn't have been. And uh, uh, But I, I also know that I 
I don't think the leadership's going to go straight back to where it was. And the problem is, you know, I do my charts every day. And if you can imagine a yellow pad that I do this on, I haven't filled the margin. You know, that little red line that goes down those yellow pads. I haven't filled it in a week and a half. So what I have seen is that energy and financials have been leading the way, which do the best, by the way, when there's inflation. Okay, because inflation costs interest rates to go up, which makes the banks have a bigger spread. They make more money and inflation, you know, uh, oil does better. Now, I, I also want to mention and I read this in, uh, in a Credit Suisse First Boston report, by the way. Uh, President Biden spoke about a couple alternative fuel sources that are available to us. And I noticed these charts <laughs> And I were, were good-looking charts, number one. Number two, I noticed some smart people who are really big ESG, you know, environmental, social, and governance companies, you know, big money managers that all they do, starting to look at them and taking pretty big positions in them. So it should be interesting. But look, with the economy downshifting to a more sedate pace of expansion and ongoing inflation risk, it's no surprise the markets are an edge, all right? But in the absence of convincing signals that a recession is in the offspring, we regard the pullback as something that should be endured on the way to further market gains instead of something worse. Uh, we're in a secular bull market, I think, all right? And, and, and you know, right now we got some work to do to maintain that secular bull market strategy. But we went down to the 200-day moving average and popped right above it, went below it and then above it, which happens quite regularly at the bottom. So it's something to think about, all right? Uh, look, after the market probably delivered its strongest and longest post-trough uh, rally since the 1960s, uh, you know, the S&P 500 surged 114% since March of 2020 and through early January of 2022. So that's a big move. So, look, there's going to be a pullback. We had lots of 5% pullbacks, and we had a lot of stocks that were meme stocks that went straight up and came straight back down. Uh, that's something uh, I, I, you know, I think the, the market makers uh, kind of hit hit a lot of things. But you got to understand that this is valuation compression in all the right places right now. Uh, the silver lining through through a very rough January is that the air has come out of the U.S. market's most expensive stocks. While we no doubt face some bumps in the road going forward. You know, a less acute valuation problem is a healthy development and supports a, a constructive view on the equity markets, okay? So it's something to think about, and, and a lot of people uh, don't. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, look, I, I think you got to understand, the, you know, what we've just done in, in the month of January is pull, especially like technology has fallen off a cliff here, but it, they what they've done is they've contracted – a lot of the valuations, a lot of the PE ratios or the price to earnings, peg ratio is what they call it, price to earnings growth ratio. So uh, it's something to think about, all right? all right? Now, the other thing is, if you look at treasury yields, uh, they're on their march higher uh, in, in the market and now sees the Fed raising five times this year. But the bulk of the repricing has been seen in the front end of the curve. Now, what do I mean by that? That means the, the, the you know, the six-month Treasury bill, the year Treasury bill, the two-year, and the five-year have all gone up. Well, the 30-year 
it's kind of maintained its area, all right? So we're, it's a kind of a flattening of the yield curve. It's not steepened a little bit this week, which is good. But most of the move has been in the, in the uh, lower maturity, okay? Quicker maturities, we'll call it, all right? Uh, so that, that's good. Now, the other thing I noticed is that, look, here, here's the problem, and, and this is why I'm not rushing to get back into the market. We made a V-bottom, and we came right up to where the resistance is. And it might take a little work to get through that resistance. And with that work, I think what we'll start to see is besides energy, and you know, look, a lot of my clients didn't buy energy. A lot of them did, and they're very, very happy. I mean, we bought Exxon at $58 with an 8.5% dividend. It's now at 81. I'm not recommending Exxon here, okay? Uh, you know, we, we, we bought our best idea in the oil small cap, you know, that we offered to everybody for six months. And the stock went sideways, sideways, and now it's up 48%. All right? We also bought another company in the oil service area that our, our analysts pound the table on and was on our best oil idea, which we offered last year. And it's up about 35%. So uh, there we go. But, look, I, I think, you know, the FANG stocks may be negatively impacted, but what happened to Meta, Meta whatever it is, uh, so we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens there. But uh, you know, Google had a great quarter. Amazon had a really great quarter. Uh, so you know, I, I don't think you know everything's terrible. But uh, uh, you know, I I think this started with the technology stocks, and you know, Bitcoin is down like fifty percent, and still is below its downtrend line. So we'll see if, if that turns back up. You know, Bitcoin has some, some violent moves sometimes. I'm not an expert on Bitcoin and, you know, don't plan to plan be. But look, I think the one thing that is really important here, and this is something you got to pay close attention to, last year in the commodity area, it was more of a duel between strong prices and poor to neutral underlying flows. I mean, money wasn't coming into the, to the uh, commodity area at all. We started this year off with a, a quick off-the-line move, <laughs> and the biggest move since the deep decline in early 2020. All right, so uh, it was just it was just positive, is what it came down to. And you know, we saw it in oil. I mean, you know, look, uh, I don't know if you remember this, but back in January of last year, when oil was fifty-five dollars, we thought oil could hit a hundred. It was ninety-eight fifty. On Friday, just so you know, I think it was a little bit more than that, but I, you know, I didn't get the exact close. What was really interesting, uh, I think, is you know the outflows are likely inevitable, uh, you know, some sometime in the in the future, because you know usually, uh, you know, commodities uh, are a fast move, but you know, gold dominated exchange products space, uh, and it's been its strongest since May, and well, this is not impressive as in the index space, but somebody's got a big bid in gold, I think, because it's not going down. Every time they start to hit it, it gets bought up. So, um, you know, commodities may not be driving inflation, certainly not on their own, nor are they always the best hedge. But we think, and, and seemingly investors agree, given the flows uh, that we estimate anyway, that's a good environment to invest in commodities right now. All right. Now, there's lots of ways to do it. Uh, you, you know, it, it gets complicated because there's a thing called a K1. And if you if you buy an ETF with a K1, you're <laughs> you're not going to like uh, the tax situation, I'll guarantee you. But 
I think it's very, very important. You know, we had valuation compressing in all the right areas. And you know what? That's good for the market. So what the market is doing is it's self-correcting, all right? It's self-correcting. It's painful. <laughs> Trust me, it's painful. But it's self-correcting. Now, it may take a while for some of those stocks that self-corrected to turn around. I mean, look, it didn't matter. There's a couple stocks that blew out their I, – I own one of them. It blew out their earnings, and then they talked about having, you know, uh, supply chain problems, and, and they beat the stock to a pulp, all right? So that's going to occur and until we get back 100%, you know, and, and going. But, look, I think valuation compression is really important. And, look, you know, we started – and it was global equity markets began the year with a swift sell-off in the U.S., uh, was leading to the downside. Now, central banks are starting to tighten. The Bank of England tightened for the second time, okay? The Bank of Canada did t- is, is talking about it. So we think there's going to be headwinds. Uh, we think the economic expansion is intact, though, and that's what's important. Uh, you know, even with the headwinds, as long as the Fed doesn't overdo it, right, that's the important part. So uh, now what it will do is for those people who are in fixed income, you know, you got to worry about, uh, you know, which which stocks or, or which bonds you're going to uh, play with, all right, or or invest in. And floating rate loans might be a good idea. If you want more information on that, uh, give me a call at two one six seven seven four eight nine zero six. That's two one six seven seven four eight nine zero six. Hey, let's take a break, and we'll be right back. Uh, we we'll talk about some other things here. Stay tuned. Okay, we're back. I hope you're uh, got a nice blanket and a cup of coffee. It's freezing outside. Uh, hey, you know, if you want any of the information we talk about on the show here. Uh, you can go to WHK1420, go to local podcasts, down to Smart Investor Show. It goes directly to my webpage. You know, our dividend growth portfolio and our prime income list, we had seven stocks on those two lists that hit a new high last week. I remember we told you six, eight months ago that we thought dividend growth and prime income lists were undervalued and they'd come surging ahead. We've been right so far. So, it, But if you want any of that stuff, you know, contact me, email me. Remember, under Insight, we constantly have changing information that you can pick up. It's it's real-line research, folks, okay? so And don't forget, under Bulletin Board is Rob Schleimer. But we do have Jason on board. Jason, how are you? Hey, how you doing? I'm okay. I wanted to ask. What's new? Yeah, yeah. Uh, hopefully you're able to dig out. Um, but, but I uh, – <laughs> yeah, I uh, – I wanted to know what your thoughts are on the semiconductors, and um, just you know, what what are what are you seeing as far as the PE ratio? I know you were talking about that a little earlier on some of the bigger ones like um, like a Nvidia. Well, Nvidia has still got a high PE ratio, Jason. Uh, you know, and and you got to remember, um, timing is important. Okay, and I'm just going to suggest this and. You know, I don't like to really talk about individual stocks, but you can call me at the office if you want. But 
NVIDIA was an $8 stock seven years ago. Okay, it's down from 400 at 230. So, you know, it's done extremely well, but it, it also has been a rocket ship, okay? And normally rocket ships, you know, run out of fuel <laughs> and then yeah. pause for a while, okay? Now, the, overall, I think there are semiconductors that you can make money on in the next year or so. I also think there's some semiconductors that have been liftoff. So, you know, what they're doing right now is they're they're worried about the E, you know, uh, the earnings. Yep. And when you adjust the E, you have to adjust the P, okay? So those things had year-over-year earnings growth that was very substantial for two years. Will it continue for the third year is the big question, and I think the market's answering that question for us. Uh, so I'd be careful with some of them. Uh if you want, I've got a great report on semiconductor. Oh, you know what? Maybe I don't. I, uh, that's, yeah, I was looking more. I was, I, I was looking more at it um, from their from their growth prospects for the next, you know, five years or, or a little longer. Because, it, it, like you said, the price has has gone down considerably. I wasn't sure if it, it, it's still you think you know kind of expensive. But there, there's some. Really good-looking uh, semiconductors, or some are not. So, just call me at the office if you get a list of names, and I'll uh, we'll talk. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Great. Thanks. Have a great show. Uh, all right. Yeah, be well. Thanks, Jason. Like I said, you got a question. It's two one six nine zero one zero nine four five. That's two one six nine zero one zero nine four five. Now, uh, remember, Rich Matthews, our wealth planner specialist, is going to be here the first part of the show next week. Okay. Uh, he's a crazy hockey player, but he's, he knows more about wealth planning than probably any of you people out there and me combined, all total put together. So, you know, somebody I was talking about the global Internet the other day with a couple clients and, and their brothers, okay? We had them on the line together. And, you know, I tried to tell them something, and I don't think it, it got through, but I'll, I'll try it with you folks. You know, if you look at the share of global Internet users, 57.4% of them are in North America and 14% are in Central South America. But if you look at the year-over-year growth of the global Internet users, Africa is number one, 12.7%. Asia is number two with 8.5, and then Europe at 5.1. So I think what you want to look at is, you know, the growth is – relatively slow in the U.S. The growth is overseas, okay? There are still 700 million people in India, 500 million people in China, and hundreds of million outside the U.S. who are not online yet. Isn't that interesting, huh? All right. So now a, a couple other things that I, I think are really kind of interesting. Uh, the expectations out there, uh, man, people gut bearish. You know, the bull-to-bear spread now is just – it's 29.8%, right? Now, we've had a couple times where it went on to 30, and I'm sure it could. Uh, but normally, when the bull-to-bear spread is negative that far, you're getting close to a rally, all right? Now, the question is, what's going to be the rally? And, uh, you know, or what's going to rally? And the hard part is figuring that out at this point. So, look, I think the – there's a wide dispersion uh, in sub-asset class total return numbers. 
at, you know, if you, like I told you last week, 3,655 stocks in the NASDAQ composite, of which 40 of them are down 50% or more. So, uh, you know, you're, you're seeing this dispersion, and, and I think you've got to pull in your expectations for the year. Obviously, January is kind of telling us that. It's kind of like waking up in the morning and, you know, you haven't had coffee and somebody slaps you in the face, okay? You need to understand that we're looking probably at a scenario where dividends are going to be important again. Remember, I've been I've been talking about this for 14 years, but for the last six months, I said dividend growth portfolio and the prime income list were cheap. They weren't as expensive as the technology stocks and the consumer cyclicals out there. So I think you've got to understand that. And But look, one of the things I'm seeing, and this has kind of got me up, you know, wondering, and the leaders are oil, their financials, but we're also, you know, going towards staples, okay? We're, we're going, you know, I look at the sector rotation, it's going to staples, it's going, and, and, and we're seeing improvement in the utility section. You know, that's not what you want to see in a bull market, okay? So, look, I, I think we have to take a look at the long view, all right? And, you know, 16 to 18 years is what a secular bull market does, as a secular bull mar- bear market usually follows. So what's the difference? In a secular bull market, there are sell-offs. I mean, we had 1987, believe me. I, you know, my wife told me Friday that she was pregnant with our first child. And, in, you know, on Monday, I watched the market collapse 25%. It doesn't do wonders for your psyche, okay? So, but it's the reversal period that occurs afterwards that's important because if it's a quick, fast reversal, you know you're in a bull market. If it stays down and doesn't, you know, and, you know, gasps for air, you're in a secular bear market. So that's something to be wary of. But right now, I think we're in the secular bull market. The question is when it started. Some people said it started in 2013, some in 2017. But we still got some time. No matter what happens, we probably have six to ten years left over. So, look, the 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 10-year yield had been range-bound now between 1.33 and 1.9. So it retraced 50% of its decline from 2017 to uh, 2020. Uh, and that's that's a you know 51.2 is is a uh, is a good Fibonacci number. The U.S. dollar index long term is the downtrend still intact, but it's challenging some key resistance. And and the, and if you look at the dollar versus the euro, uh, the dollar is is actually sinking versus the euro, which may be you know you got to you know not today, but you got to look out in the future. All right, remember the stock market is like chess. Okay, you never just make a move in chess. You always got to think three or four moves ahead. All right, so you got to think about maybe Europe. You know, Europe's, you know, the, the the indexes look okay. Their relative strength versus the United States has been fairly negative. That can change. So you know, that's something to keep in the back of your head. And the euro yen relationship, which is very important because it's it's a barometer of uh, a current cycle in industrials. All right, so that's important. And then we looked at copper, and the uptrend in, in, is intact, and and copper 
you know, is consol- you know, is consolidating between at, at 465 and has key support at 400. Gold's doing the same thing. Gold's got a huge 20-year or 12-year, 13-year, whatever it is, um, cup and handle formation forming. And I noticed that whenever it goes down, there's somebody bit, bit it up. Oil, you know, we talked about oil about this time last year, and everybody thought I was gold. <laughs> I was nuts. It's been the best performing of all stuff, even, the, you know, the financials that we pounded the table on, okay? And, I, you know, one thing about gold, the monthly momentum is starting to bottom. Uh, but it it really remains range bound between eighteen hundred and twenty one hundred, and then we'll, we'll see. I think the key support there is is sixteen seventy. So look, just remember, if you're in a secular bull market, the range that the S and P five hundred has done the last two secular bull markets, it's gone up twenty three hundred percent. That would mean if we just went to two thousand, we'd be looking at thirteen thousand five hundred to fourteen thousand on the S and P five hundred. Something to think about. Let's take a break. Remember, if you got a question, 216-901-0945. Stay tuned. If you just tuned in, this is Smart Investor Show. I'm Tim Hayes. And, uh, you know, people are wondering about some of these employment numbers that are coming out. You know, uh, we had a bad number in December. And then suddenly, uh, you know, it was like 110,000. And suddenly uh, the revision is 530,000. <laughs> I don't know if there's any government fooling around there. But uh, and then this this month, you know, people were looking for 100,000 and 140, what I guess it was. I'm sorry, 165,000, and uh, we came up at 370, and so people are starting to wonder, <laughs> you know, is everything all right? And then we looked at the change in non-farm private in, in employment and went to, to negative 300,000. Uh, so I don't know, things things are getting you know kind of wild in that area. But the good news is, is the bullish percent turned back up again. So that is the 17th time in 13 months that it's changed directions, which, uh, you know, you, you need a neck brace to start to watch this thing. Uh, it's it's the most volatile period of time um, that I can ever remember, you know, in the bullish percent. And what is the bullish percent, first of all? And the bullish percent is simply an indicator that was designed in the 30s by a protege of Charles Dow. And what he wanted to do is be bullish at the bottom, okay, and bearish at the top. So we got down to 33%. All right, and reversed up, um, and we were up 5.1 percent to 41, which is a good place to buy. And remember, we talked last week that the over-the-counter index was way down, and that you know bounced up to 30, and they both bought, bounced into a column of X's. Now, what does that mean? So, this is a chart that goes from zero to 100. When you get over 70, that's the red zone. That's when everybody's talking about their portfolio. That's when you should be nervous. When you get below 30, that's the green zone, okay? That's when everybody else is nervous, and you should be greedy, all right? Now, like I said, the problem here is trying to figure out where the leadership is, and it's definitely in oil and financials, uh, in Tim's humble opinion. But we're seeing, like, the staples and the utilities are, are, you know, I mean, 
Coca-Cola and Procter Gamble hit a new high last week, right? So CVS hit a new high last week. You know, I mean, those are staples as far as I'm concerned. So the, the, the key is, is I, I think um, we're back in a column of X's, which means the offensive team's on the field. Column of X's accumulation, column of O's is distribution, as you may well know if you've been in the market for any length of time. Distribution happens a lot faster. All right, now the one negative here is that we haven't turned up. You know, uh, we have a, uh, a, a term that, well, we'll just say cash has a higher relative strength right now than a lot of different sectors. And, and you know, it's a cash bogey is what we call it. So the cash bogey says you need more cash. That'll happen until we turn up and stay up. Uh, and we haven't really done that yet, okay? Now, the world index is still in the column of O's, so that's something you've got to be uh, thinking about. But it, it was positive at the S&P. It gained 4.3% last week. And then uh, it would have been more, uh, but the return was a negative 5.6 uh, for the month. So, you know, it wasn't a great uh, <laughs> great uh, month for the S&P 500. It was worse for the NASDAQ composite. You know, if you're a momentum-based strategy, you, you had wide dispersions are positive uh, as it leads to potential for outperformance by focusing on leadership and, uh, and avoiding the laggard areas. So, look, oil's it, okay? Financials are it. And I think, you know, utilities and staples are, are it. And as a matter of fact, energy became the top-performing asset class, and financials number two. Technology has slid all the way to number three. Consumer cyclical, which was number two and number one for a while, is now number four. At the bottom is still healthcare. You know, I mean, they're just, you know, part of the problem with healthcare is that people aren't coming in uh, for uh, procedures. Okay, number one. Number two, if you're, you know, like you're testing a new drug, nobody's coming in to do the new drug. All right, so that that's a problem with utilities. With uh, with them, um, however, utilities are improving. I I think financials you want to overweight. I I, I think energy you know you want to overweight. Uh, technology you want to overweight, but it's losing relative strength. And I think you want to equal weight consumer discretionary, industrials and real estate. And like I said, utilities are improving. Uh, we'll leave it at that. Now international equities. One thing I did notice. Uh, Latin America equities ha have continued to show technical improvement. Um, and we, we're at three, which is kind of a key area for the, our friends at Dorsey Wright. You know, they, they have a model where you see an improvement from, from zero to six. And when you get over three, that's usually a good sign. By the way, they're, they provide us with the bullish percent and are great people to work with. Uh, they're out of Virginia. Um, and one country that's shown some technical resistance is Mexico. Uh, which ranks second in the quartile now. Uh, so now I'm looking at one in particular ETF. It's not the same across the board for some reason, and it's because of what the ETF owns. All right. So there's there are three or four Mexican ETFs that I don't like at all. Uh, so longer term, uh, U.S. Treasuries have been relatively stable since last week's FMOC meeting. Uh, the 10-year has remained range-bound. Uh, and if we look further on, uh, short-term rates have continued to rise. You know, the two-year Treasury index has risen from just above 1% to 1.2. That's a 20% move, folks. That's a big move. 
has been the case for weeks. I think that if you're looking at uh, bonds, you know, floating rate securities make some sense here. The, the Fed's going to continue to raise. So what happens when interest rates rise, the income rises. The price is steady, but if the income, you know, if their interest rates fall, the income falls, but the price is steady, so your principal is good. Now, if you have regular bonds and you have rates rise, your income is steady, your price falls. Now, if the interest rates fall, then your income is still steady, but your price rises. So in, in, in volatile period of times, it might make sense to take a look at floating rate securities. We've got a bundle of them that we talked about last week. Now, as far as commodities are concerned, you know, gold's been negative for a couple of weeks. Crude oil's just been on a, on a rocket ship ride. It's been positive for six weeks. Uh, the 200-day moving average is at 73, so, you know, we're way above the 200-day moving average, so we might have to pause for a while. Uh, and corn, uh, there's an alternative fuel there called ethanol that people should be paying attention, attention to. I've noticed that corn, which had been, down, had, had been up big last fall because of something the president said back in September, he's now saying again, alternative things, okay? So, you know, commodities continue to charge ahead, and, and it's cutting through some historical headwinds, and that is a rising U.S. dollar. In fact, you know, we talked about this last week. We find commodities nearly overtaking domestic equities for the top spot on the broad asset class list. Isn't that interesting? And, and by the way, domestic equities have failed the bogey check for uh, against cash, meaning you should have more cash right now. All right. Uh, now that that may change. It may change tomorrow. I mean Monday. <laughs> uh, but you know, I was looking at the graphs, and you know, the agricultural uh, ETFs look really, really pretty good. Uh, the ETNs look uh, really interesting, um, but you know, cash is. Look, cash is an asset class, and it's okay to have cash, all right? So that's something to think about. But I looked at a bunch of different, uh, uh, you know, uh, commodities, and I was very uh, – like what I saw is what it came down to. So we'll leave it at that. Uh, um, anyway, you know, so so people have been asking me, let's, let's talk about a few more things. You know, one of the things we look at is the 13 months versus uh, the four month versus the 13 month moving average. And when the four month is above the 13, we're usually in a bull market. When the four month crosses over on the downside, that's when you got to be prepared. Uh, you know, that happened right before, you know, and I said this on the air. I said you should have 20% cash. I think we have a, a, I thought it was a 10 to 12% correction, but I didn't know about the pandemic at that point. Uh, but 10 to 12% would have been a lot better than at zero at that point. Uh, so we had that, that occurred right before it was in February. That's when I started to get negative, but right now I don't think we have that problem, but we do have momentum is topping. So the chances of the four month going sideways and the 13 month going sideways, that's probably a pretty good thought. And then they may cross over just to make sure we're all paying attention. And look, I, I emphasize this because this is important. The S&P 500, well, if you have an uptrend, what you do is you have a series of higher highs and a series of higher lows. And you connect those as a chartist with straight lines. That becomes your trend. 
okay, whether it's a stock or an index. The NASDAQ, are, now, let me go back. If you break below one of those lines, usually you got a problem with fundamentals. If you break above it, things are overzealous. The S&P 500 is at the top end of that trend line. Okay, so the problem between the top end and the lower end is about 22%. So you've got to pay attention. Now, in a, what we had in the past has been a series of, uh, you know, sideways movements with a couple whoopses in it. But you could make money. There were stocks you could make money on, and you did, all right? However, the NASDAQ is above the trend line. So I think you've got to use 13,000 on the NASDAQ as a line in the sand. Then you better be careful. Hey, let's take a break. If you've got a question, the, the uh, phone number here is 216-901-0945. That's 216-901-0945. We'll be right back with Insiders. Hey, uh, a couple things. Like we said, you know, uh, if you wanted the information, the dividend growth portfolio, the prime income list, uh, just go to WHK1420. And on their webpage, it's local podcasts down to the Smart Investor Show. And by the way, you can listen to some old shows if you don't believe anything I said. <laughs> and But it has also to contact me or email me. If you'd like to have a cup of coffee and talk about your portfolio or a wealth plan, uh, we'd be glad to. Uh, sit down with you. Uh, one of the things that uh, we do talk about, and you know, is our prime income. Uh, I mean, our uh, prime income list, our dividend growth portfolio. But you know, our all cap portfolio and our small cap portfolio have been knocking the cover off the ball. So, just so you know. Uh, anyway, this, now we talk about uh, insiders, and look. Um, I think that you have to uh, understand that these people understand their company much better than you do and, you know, are right more than analysts, <laughs> okay? Now, analysts may be right for the short term, but the long run, these guys are usually right. And, and uh, they're right 62% of the time. Analysts are right 54 okay? So now the problem with an, being an analyst is not that they, they don't understand the companies or anything like that. It's just that they may be – what they're doing is they're recommending the top three or four stocks in their group, and their and their group may be totally out of favor. Okay, so that affects their returns. There's nothing they can do about it. But we do have Brian on. Brian, how are you? Yeah, I'm uh, okay. I'm just wondering, um, you know, you constantly refer to your uh, – done growth portfolio and your prime income list Look on your uh, website and that you know for rbc and i can't find it um it's not on there it's not on there <laughs> it's, yeah, only for, I, it's, it's only for clients oh, okay because uh, i wrote I, I, I sent you an email asking you where i can get it and uh, you never responded to me so i was wondering uh, how know, long ago it was like a week ago yeah, it'll be coming. Okay, all I'm, right. I'm I'm behind on emails, friend. So sorry about that. But you know, all right, look for uh, it. I, I sent it about a week ago. Okay. All right. Thanks. Yep. See ya. Bye. Bye. Anyway, uh, 
so, oh, we have Hank on the line. Hank, how are you? Yes. Hi. Hank? Yes. I, uh, Go ahead. I have an interesting, at least to me, it's an interesting question. Um, in retirement, um, you've got to have, uh, you know, stock bond portfolio, right? And um, the thing that bothers me with the my, you know, four hundred thousand dollars in bonds is uh, the fact that when interest rates are going to be rising, uh, my you know average bond portfolios are losing money and dropping. And uh, I, I know that does that. I mean, I'm you know I used to do institutional investment work uh, myself. And I don't have quite the tools to do the analysis. But the other day, I saw ETF bond portfolios that were laddered bond portfolios. So they would have a um, maturity year, and you invest in that uh, bond portfolio for, let's say, 2025, 26, 27, 28. And in that uh, year, target year, um, they it's designed to um, – Sell everything matures. They take the money, and it's all if that that particular um, portfolio is liquidated. And so, you know, if you sell it in between time, you have the risk of uh, interest rate risk. But uh, if you hold it to that maturity, you don't have that interest rate risk. Have you heard of those? What do you think of those? Yeah, uh, Brian, I've been uh, I've been talking. Or Hank, I'm sorry, uh, I've been talking about uh, laddered portfolios for. 15 years on the show. <laughs> uh, yeah. Look, mo- modern portfolio theory says if you're 70, you should have 70% of your portfolio in bonds. And I think that's a, a money losing opportunity for the next probably, you know, in maybe 10, 15 years because interest rates are at the lowest level they've ever been in the history of man. Okay. So right. we're right. not going much lower. And when interest rates go up, your bond goes down. All right. So, there's, yeah. there's lots of ways you can protect yourself. There's floating rates, which we just talked about. There's uh, there's laddered portfolios. Uh, you know, there's other ways to do things. There's, uh, you know, senior debt that has, uh, you know, uh, it's kind of like a floating rate senior debt. Um, when you're doing floating rate, I think the higher up on the quality range that you're doing is important. And I don't know what they're buying. That's the problem with the ETF. You know, you, so there's lots of those ETFs out there. It's what they're buying that's important because if they're buying yeah. crap, you're you know you're you're in trouble. And by the way, there's lots of them out there that are buying crap. All right, so you got to be careful with what you buy. But yes, they're out there. Yeah, that but makes we, perfect sense. You know, <clears throat> yeah, and and I've I've been laddering portfolios for most of my career, so <laughs> uh, it's it's very you know. I think the prime income list and the dividend growth list, I in my if I was retiring tomorrow, I would overemphasize those. Uh because you know, yeah. dividend growth stays up with inflation. Okay? So bonds right. are gonna be a tough I, I think bonds are gonna be a tough scenario for a couple more years. I used to you know, Hank, I used to do a lot of bonds. A lot of bonds. I, I do maybe five percent of that business now. And I wow. do it on purpose. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, you know, when interest rates are the lowest they've ever been, you know, they're not going to go much lower. And remember, right. the real yield the real yield on the 10-year Treasury is still negative 2.5% or 3% or something like That's that. That's right. Right. Yeah. So, uh, 
I don't see upside to bonds is what I'm trying to tell you, <laughs> but I would keep it two years, you know, so you'd have some yeah. roll in every two years. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Thanks. See you. So anyway, uh, insiders know their companies better and, and uh, we'll just leave it at that. And we have a small name here, Epizyme. Now I haven't looked into this one, but I noticed that a director, Pablo Lagaratea, La, La, bought 22 million shares. But we have Terry. Terry, how are you? Hello. Hi. Bill? Yeah. I was wondering to answer a question. Yeah. Answer a question on uh, an RMD. I know you said you're going to have somebody on it next week. RMD. Yeah. Anyway, no, maybe for wealth plans. What's that? Wealth plans. What, uh, are you talking about acquired minimum distribution? Yeah. Yeah, I can answer that. But you know, we're talking about wealth plans next week. Uh, oh, wealth plan. Okay. But maybe. The, okay. Yeah. My question is: um, I'm 73. My wife is 67. We're both retired, and our income comes uh, from stocks and annuities. And uh, we had, we we uh, when we file we file jointly and take us you know the adjusted the, the standard deduction. So our gross mm-hmm. income comes out to be about 54,000. But anyway, my last year my RMD for my stocks was like 55,000. Yeah. yeah. I'm just wondering how much of that you know to benefit my my income tax. Like percentage-wise, should I be taking, and how much should I take out and reinvest? You know, is there a sweet well, is there a I, sweet spot where I can say, okay, I'm going to give out half of it to uh, charity as a qualified distribution for my income tax purposes, and take the rest out and invest it, or you know, what what's there's a formula for that? You know, actually, I have to see more than that, but that is a question for your accountant. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, not for Tim. You know, I can answer it, but I'm not your accountant, and I'm not the guy signing the, the, the paper that turns yeah. it into the IRS. Oh, sure. I'm so, just looking for some a, kind of ballpark to say, hey, you know, am I, should I give it all away, or, you know, should I give, like, half of it away and keep the other rest and put it back into a yeah. savings? Or uh, You know, here's what I do. I, I set up to take 25% out for federal tax, 5 for state, and then – you use if you want to give the money to charity. Uh-huh. That's when you, you got to know what your gross adjusted is. Obviously, you know what that is. Right. And you know it depends on how big a tax bill you want. Uh huh. All right. So then you just oh, you know work accordingly. All right. Okay. But still a question for your accountant, not for Tim. Not for Tim. Okay. I just uh, I just didn't right. know not, if there was I'm a formula signing. that if there's some kind of formula right. that I could plug the numbers into and say okay. Here's, here's how yeah, I, and I know charity. what the formula is. Yeah, I know what the formula is, but I, I, that's given tax advice, and I'm not a I'm not an oh, accountant. Oh, really? Okay. So when you say no. family, you talk about my my uh, my my accountant from my accountant, I don't have an accountant. I just have a tax no, guy. That, a tax guy. He's yeah. he's signing the form, so he should tell you what to do. Okay. Oh, he should. Okay. All right. Well, yeah. thanks for your help. Right. Okay. Bye bye. Anyway, we do have one more, uh, uh, one or two more. Uh, Stocks that have insider buys. Dustin Muscovitz bought another 1.2 million shares of Asana. I've, he's the chairman, CEO, and he's also a former Facebook founder. So that's kind of interesting. And Gavrav Agarwal bought Sierra Oncology along with uh, one, two, three, three other directors. And then also we had uh, – 
another stock, and it's called Hellbiz. It's a recreation vehicles. There was six insiders. Uh, they bought from seven hundred to a thousand dollars, a seven hundred thousand dollars to a hundred thousand dollars, and so uh, it's way over a million. And then uh, Vaxinex, uh, it, it, dollar stock, and they bought three point six million shares. And the guy's a smart director, by the way. So just a few names there. And I guess the the last thing I'd probably say to everybody is that look, I think you got to understand that the Nasdaq Composite is still above its trend line, its upper trend line, not its lower. Okay, so the upper trend line, people getting too enthusiastic. That's what occurred back in 2000, although it occurred in a much more dramatic fashion. I mean, it was like 25% above the uptrend line. Here, we're just about five. So 13,000 should be your line in the sand for the NASDAQ, okay? Because if it breaks there, we're probably going to have some problems going forward. And the S&P 500 is at the top of its trend line, okay? The top trend line, which means... And with the monthly momentum slowing, by the way, so I think what we're going to have is some sideways movement with a couple whoopies. All right, we already had one whoopie. You know, uh, that's a that's a downside move. So I think you've got to you've got to pay attention to that. So here's what I do: I'd go to WHK fourteen twenty, go to local podcast down to Smart Investor Show. We have all sorts of stuff. We have uh, Savvy Investors Credit Workbook. It might be the last time you get a, a, a uh, an opportunity to get involved in cheap interest rates. We have our prime income list, our dividend growth list, which I think are perfect for this time of uh, in the market. And we also have our all cap universe and our small cap universe. Uh, they may be good ideas coming forward, going, going forward. In the meantime, stay warm. Have a great weekend. Uh, this is Smart Investor Show. If you want to have a cup of coffee, call me. My number's on the webpage. In the meantime, buy low, sell high. Have a great weekend. Thanks for listening to the Smart Investor Hour. To reach Tim during the week, call him toll-free, 888-223-7742. That's 888-223-7742. Or visit his website, rbcwmfa.com slash Tim Hayes. That's all one word in the address bar, rbcwfma.com slash Tim Hayes. Please join us again next Saturday for the Smart Investor Hour to hear more smart investing from Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.